What's going on, beautiful people? It's your girl, Kira Savvy here. Savvy Kira on Instagram and Facebook. And this is, you already know, literally, Just Talk Radio. To acknowledge with knowledge. We are opening up season two on Mind of the Storm podcast platform on Facebook. And I'm so thankful to Mike hooking us up in the studio. Man, we got an excellent start for y'all. And I'd just like to say, at the beginning of my show, I literally just talk radio. I'm rounding up on two years now with literally just talk radio. And these last two years have been quite a journey. It's been super phenomenal. And being able to be here in front of a live audience just really speaks to that. In the beginning of the show, it was in the middle of the pandemic. And I really thought about everything that was transpiring around us from social injustices amid the pandemic, job loss, the decline of the economy, and how that really affected us and affected our lives. So coming up on two years later, I'm thinking about all of that in once and how economic opportunities should be more available for all of us. Which leads me to my topic for tonight, economic opportunities for the formerly incarcerated. And my guest, my very first guest that I'm excited to have, Mr. The Remarkable, D. <laughs> e. Hall um, from Wilmington, Delaware. This gentleman is an activist. He does everything from prison reform to his youth boxing program as a professional boxer. And my favorite sport, by the way, teaching the youth discipline through boxing. I'm telling you, we need more people like him in our communities and with us to show us a better way. What's going on, D? Welcome to the show. I'm thankful to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Kira. I appreciate your support, your encouragement, and your, your beautiful smile. <laughs> I'm in Atlanta right now. Right. And I'm doing everything that it is that I can to make sure I'm coming in clear. My my technology isn't the best. Uh, I'm on my phone right now using Hotspot on my laptop, and my my camera is not all that. But I'm here, and I'm I'm happy that you uh you you decided to invite me to do your first show with you. Right, and I appreciate you, man. And thank you, everybody that's tuning in right now. So, Devon, I know that you're, like, heavily involved in the community and community advocacy, and I really think it's important for us to highlight you and highlight the work that you're doing, especially when it comes to the formerly incarcerated. Now, for those of you that don't know me, I like to share stories. So, at the top of 2020, at the beginning of the new year, my oldest brother was involved in the Parchment State Penitentiary riots, and in that time, it really highlighted, highlighted for me what I needed to be paying attention to in regard to his life, in regard to his well-being. And after that time, I thought about, well, what will he have to restart his life when he comes home owning a criminal record, being seen or being called a, a ex-felon when we're even using along the wrong language these days to address people who have served time and they should be called formerly incarcerated people because at the end of the day what they really are are people everyday people like you and me people who are looking to restart their lives and re-enter society and i definitely feel like we need to give them more of a chance to do so so d being an impacted person and experiencing incarceration, what has been your stance in promoting what's known as decarcerate America in your community? A uh, very uh, multifaceted, uh, definitely a passionate one. I am a passionate person since I'm an artist and an activist um, that comes across in our efforts on different mediums. We have a Facebook page and an Instagram uh as far as in person goes we started off 
protesting out at Gander Hill or Howard R. Young, as it's commonly referred to, uh, DOC. In person, while, while I was out there protesting, I always talked about my personal experience. I always talked about on the bullhorn when I was locked up and I was in the hole and I had a, a feeling that was exposed at the root. I had a, a tooth. I needed dental work done. And, you know, there's a lot of guys in there that are locked up that have health problems, that have dental problems, and mm. they don't get the, the attention that they deserve, that they need. And I remember when I was in there, you know, I had to wait. I, I put in grievance after grievance slip, and I was in so much pain, I couldn't eat anything. When they finally sent me down there, there was a guy that was working, the, the dentist that the prison had was shaking. He was an elderly man and he was shaking and he was shaking so bad. Mm. Reminded me of my papa. My papa had Parkinson's. I don't know if this man had Parkinson's or not, but he was shaking so bad that he needed help. I'm being interviewed right now, y'all. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I'm being interviewed right now. I'm talking about Papa. <laughs> if y'all can hear me, that's my cousin. But my cousin came down from Atlanta. She's actually from Chester, like you, Kira. Oh, but, okay. uh, hey, cousin, how you doing? She went. She went back in. Okay. But uh, Papa's son Hall, he passed away back in 2001, and oh, uh, with him and him having Parkinson and me knowing what Parkinson looks like, I know that this dentist that the prison had had Parkinson's. He was shaking so bad that he couldn't even put on his own gloves. He was shaking so bad that he had to have his assistant, his dental assistant, put on his gloves for him. So I was in so much pain man. that I was ready to allow this man shaking like he was shaking to still operate, still take this tooth out of my mouth. Mm. I had this feeling in it. Until they put the waiver in front of me that said that I could have extreme bleeding. I could have bone fracture. I could have excessive bleeding, bone fracture, and they said uh, infection. Jeez. All those boxes, I had to check and say that I'm okay with that. That's going to be all right if that happens to me. So I told the guys when I was out there, because they could hear us inside. When I was on the bullhorn, I told them, don't sign any waivers. I didn't tell nobody not to take the vaccine. I didn't know what the vaccine was at that point. I wasn't vaccinated myself at that point, but I didn't tell them back in 2020 not to. So uh, the opportunities that we have to share our story, to try to help somebody else do right, to do better, to survive, we have to take advantage of. And when we're welcome to the table to advocate or to be a decision maker, right? we have the same thing. We have to accept that place and we have to make sure that we don't forget our lived experiences. We have to make sure that we don't forget the people that are experiencing what it is that we went through. We have to make sure that we remember to always do everything that it is that we can to safeguard our community from having to experience what it is that we might have been through because nobody has to go through that if we don't allow for that to happen. And when we're in the, those systems and we're in those places and we can actually affect change, we have to make sure that we do just that and make sure that people don't have situations where they're at risk, where they're, they could be hurt, where their bones could be fractured, where they could have excessive bleeding. Right. And you know what? I think that's traumatic enough in itself you know, just enduring that experience and then people not really knowing or having, you know, the education behind what they're even signing or even knowing what, you know, what they're going to sign off on to be done to them and to their own bodies. And I'm glad that you was there in that position to be able to tell people not to. So I really want to know, like, how does that, the front end trauma being on the forefront of those things, being incarcerated and, and fighting for the, the formerly incarcerated, how does that destroy families and how does that prevent us from fighting and standing for our communities the way we really should? 
So an accident causes catastrophic injury to everyone in the vehicles involved and a lot of times to the environment where the accident takes place. Many times trauma is not something that we see. Many times it's mental. It's something that affects your mind. But everybody in that vehicle that was in that accident experiences some sort of trauma, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, fear, you're scared, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. If you're in the back of the car or the bus or whatever it is, the back of the vehicle, you experience what it is that they experience in the front. When I'm talking about the front, you uh, you could be a parent and you could do the wrong thing. Mm. They, the sins of the father, the sins of the mother are passed along to the generation that comes after them. So if they're in the vehicle, they're being carried too, and you get into an accident or you end up in the wrong place, you do the wrong thing, you have to not only pay those consequences yourself, but your children come behind you, got to pay those same prices that you got to pay. I wrote a lot about my personal story in my book, Keep Up the Good Fight. It's on keepupthegoodfight.org. It's available to the public. Everybody can read more about my story. There's a lot of different things that have happened to me that I do the best that I can to just try to uh, explain to the best of my ability. We don't got time to go through everything, but it is all on Keep Up The Good Fight. And before I, I wrote Keep Up The Good Fight, I wrote The Six O'Clock Diet. The Six O'Clock Diet, I used to weigh 300 pounds. We talk about trauma, we talk about things that people have been through and want people to be healthy, wanting to use your own experience to try to help other people. That book, because of the trauma that I was experiencing when I first self-published it back in 2012, I never really promoted it like I needed to. That's why I said that I had to make sure I let people know about that book because that book could have saved somebody's life. In these right. past years, 2012 to 2022, I could have helped somebody that got gastric bypass surgery and didn't need to get it. Mm. I could have helped somebody that ended up on the, the operating table getting that work done. And you don't need to have those invasive surgeries. You don't need to do all that stuff when it comes to eating right. Sometimes it's just stopping, just putting the fork down. Yesterday, I'm eating, I'm eating dinner with my mom, my grandma. My mom reminded me, she, I told my mom I'm full, you know. <laughs> stop, <laughs> oh, you know, mama going to If you're full, stop eating, you know. You know that's that's the simple eat, thing. You know. Stop eating late at night. Six o'clock night, that's what it's about, the simple things. But at the same time, it's more than just that. It's uh, right. it's six different variations of the six o'clock diet. It ain't just stopping and eating. But, yeah, we got to do the best that we can to help other people. And we do everything that it is in our power to do that. And we use different avenues. We use different platforms. We use different books to do it. We we talk. I love this platform. We can talk. But yeah, six o'clock diet that uh that's available and keepupthegoodfight.org is where you get keep up the good fight. Nice. And you know what? I'm gonna make sure you drop those links to me because they'll be on the Talk Heavy TV page, also on my um own page at Savvy Kira. But I think that's phenomenal. Yo, D, I did not know that you weighed 300 pounds. Like 300. Man. I was a big boy. Yeah, but yeah. I was a big boy. Looking at you now, you would never tell. Like, you would never <laughs> tell the difference. So I went, I, went, I went from 300 to welterweight. Yeah. 160, 150. Sheesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, a lot of work, a lot of discipline. A person. Word. So yeah, like, I thank God. <laughs> no doubt. A lot of work and a lot yeah. of and, and sometimes you know what that that act of selflessness and putting yourself in position to be selfless, like is really what it takes. And you're taking all of your experiences to be able to help other people, you know? And it makes me really think about where our government stands and where our local legislators stand. When we're talking about formerly incarcerated people, we're talking about people that you expect to re-enter society and become a part well, of the society that, that we're they were part of before. We're so, in, in your opinion, how do you... All that food. Come here. How do you think our uh, government and local legislators 
can um, even nonprofits provide economic opportunities for formerly incarcerated people? I got it. We gonna we gonna y'all we gonna see y'all before uh before we leave, right? Y'all we y'all leave. Oh, morning. Y'all leaving? Yeah. Oh man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hold on, let me, let me. I got it. Y'all do what y'all what y'all doing? Yeah, Todd, I mean, got her daughter having. So he getting his family situation together right now. <laughs> what I really wanted to highlight is our government and our local legislators and, and our officials who tell, you know, formerly incarcerated people to come and re-enter our society and tell them to be productive, tell them to find jobs, tell them to even maybe even go back to school and get an education. I was reading on the DOC website, an article from um, PA DOC, Department of Corrections. And in that article, they were basically saying how 60% of their, of that population is expected. He's back. So why have pathways to success for that population of people re-entering society when you only expect them to come back? AD, you with me? Yeah, I'm sorry about that, kid. It's all good, man. Look, I already know how it is when you're with your family. You want to kick back. So listen, I appreciate your time. But where y'all going? That's not true. I, I got to be honest. Um, My family is uh is definitely on the men. Uh, right. And my cousin, I love my cousin. And it's been a long time since I've seen her. And Yo, that's dope. And her her friend just lost her her son, her twenty three mm. year old son, to gun violence recently. Mm. And we have to do what we can to be supportive and to be we got to be available to everybody, no matter what what it is that we we doing. We got to be available to everybody, and we can't yeah. not be. Like I'm gonna pray about everything. We always say, "Oh, we gonna we gonna pray. We praying for you. We we sorry for you, lost. We care. We have to really be there for people. No doubt. And you know what? It's it's a part of of being there and really. No showing, matter what. Yeah, no matter what, and showing that strength and showing that family unit that really can, that keeps us together. It's our glue. And my condolences, man, to you and your family. Like They're both from Chester. They both from Chester. I came down here two days ago. They mm. came down here last night and they leaving tomorrow. So I just, I didn't even know. I, didn't, I wanted to find that all out. They came to my mom's house just to visit and all that. Yeah. They, they, so I wanted to make sure I talked to them before, I, before they leave. And you but, know you never know where you're going to be and, and why you need to be there. You know, this is why it's so important for us to be able to stick together, to be able to connect to each other. So we can at least attempt to to put in the mind of especially our young people to, to stop these things from happening. I was telling you the conversation that we was having the other day about my brother who is on life support right now. You feel me? Not coming back because of gun violence, because he decided to put himself in that position. And we, we can't, it's hard for us to deal with it, you know? And he's a twin and his twin brother is incarcerated. You know, what is his life going to look like when he comes home? You know, how is he going to be able to restart his life and make something better for his generation, he got, I got six nieces and nephews from that one brother. You know what I'm saying? Just mm -hmm. being able to look at them and look at his son, look at his junior, look at his daughters and say, what can we do? What can we do for our babies? Like, what can we do for our future to ensure that we don't have to put ourselves in position to have to fight for them even after the fact, you know? Like, how mm -hmm. can we prevent that from happening you know and i was saying that and i was asking you really like how can our government our local legislators 
the work that they're not doing. Nonprofit agencies provide more economic opportunities for those underrepresented, for the formerly incarcerated, because it's one of the things that should be highlighted, that should be on the forefront. You should be able to go to uh, your local social services office, human services office, and find pamphlets right in front of you. That's not always the case. You should even right. be able to talk to somebody. That's not always the case. We don't even right. have a way to get these resources to the communities when they become available. So I know you did a, um, an education on voters' rights, on edu on registering to vote. My question is, how can we provide more of that education to our communities? How can we put the pressure on our local legislators and our government to make sure that our communities and the communities that they represent get the resources that they need? By being consistent, by being consistent and always recognizing your own power, never doubting yourself and what it is that you can do, believing in just the power that you possess. Now, you can believe that you can be uh, a success or you can believe that you can you can fail at whatever it is that you're doing. But if you have what they call uh, high self-efficacy, if you believe in your skills, your performance, your thinking, your training, what it is that you've educated yourself or what it is that you've been educated to do, you're going to have high self-efficacy and you're going to do everything in your power to organize and hopefully teach other people to have that same belief in themselves that you have and you guys can all believe in each other and do what it is that you need to do for your community. Our community has low self-efficacy. Our community has low self-esteem. Our community a lot of times has low success rate when it comes to what it is that we're trying to do. We're a little bit off uh, where we, we, we thought that we were gonna be when it came to the questions. Mm -hmm. um, I know that understanding, timing, those things are important. When we get them together, when we get our training together and we're, we practice success because proper preparation prevents poor performance. Mm. If you have trained to be successful, you're going to be successful. You're going to be a winner. Right. There's certain things that are going to happen. Right. You might lose, but you can't ever, you can't ever put yourself all the way up here when you win and just continue to always think that that's where you're going to be. And when you lose, you're all the way down here. Be even. Be even. You're talking about uh, government structures. You're talking about offices. People in power should be impacted. They should be people that have had some losses, people that have been here, people that know what being broke is like, people that know what losing a job is like. They know what evictions like. They know what growing up without food in their stomach, maybe. They, they've had those experiences. A lot of times, it's not those people. It's not impacted people that are in positions of power to say, this shouldn't be this way. This is not acceptable. So it's up to us, being those people, to organize. We all have First Amendment rights in this country. Every son and daughter of this nation now has a First Amendment right to speak, to assemble, to organize, protest, to petition. You wrote a couple petitions about your brother, right? Because of what happened to you, because you knew what was going on, right? Right. Right. And putting myself in that position to do so. Just, I'm an everyday, you know, ordinary woman. But I care enough about my loved one. I care enough about my family to be able to put myself in that position and not just seeing that my family was affected, but all the people around him who didn't have, you know, family to even fight for them or to stand up for them, you know, put myself in that position to say, 
I understand. Done, you know. Let's get back to number three. <laughs> well, we actually on number. I like that laugh. <laughs> I like well, listen, that. I want to hear more about um, and I know it's off subject, but I want to hear more about the gloves program that you have in Wilmington with the youth. What exactly do you do with the youth? What do you teach them through um your professional boxing career? I hate with gloves more so is instruction that is hopefully an outlet for frustration. A lot of times when I'm holding on to the mitts, when I got the mitts on my hands and I, I put gloves on a young person in front of me, I feel a lot of pain. I feel a lot of pain from those gloves into my mitts. So hopefully I feel like it's an outlet for frustration, if nothing else. They get some anger out. The goal is to to teach, to instruct them on how to defend themselves, of course. Mm -hmm. A lot of them don't even know how to throw a punch. They don't know how to put their hands up like they're supposed to. They don't know how to move their head. They don't know how to stand on an angle. They don't know how to actually fight. Right. <laughs> but it's not all about just violence, inflicting violence. We want to find out why is it that you want to box if you want to box right and then we can help you to get registered as an amateur boxer with usa boxing we can show you to where it is that you need to go to train to compete if that's what you want to do mm -hmm. it's an introduction to the sweet science the greatest sport ever in my opinion in my humble opinion but let's right. let's get back to number three <laughs> can we get to number three that's definitely <laughs> I, I got I, I, I took your questions and I answered them and I, I, I want to get to number three so I can actually answer that question. Well, you know what we got. So we got a little bit caught up in the conversation. We got distracted. But you know what? That's when we talk heavy. You feel me? Sometimes it's not always in the alignment in that structure, but it's definitely worth saying and it need to be said. So number three. Mr. DeMarquee Hall, <laughs> how do we ensure people in our communities are always treated as people, no matter the circumstances? So in, in amateur boxing, I'm going to go a little bit off the uh, answer. We get three rounds when we first start off. If your son, your daughter decided to become an amateur boxer, girls and boys can fight. She would be fighting three two-minute rounds at the beginning. So three is an important number to me. That's, that's why I'm stuck on it. But how we ensure people in our communities are always treated as people. I have a question for you, uh, no matter the circumstances you said. Are we talking about people being treated as people by other people? Or are we talking about people being treated as people by systems that people are supposed to be in control of? Well, you know what? I think you can answer both of those. Because if we expect to be treated a certain way, just to answer your question then we got to learn how to treat each other the way we want to be treated. We got to learn how to treat each other the way we want these systems to treat us. If they see us constantly tearing each other down and tearing our communities down and tearing down the work that we're putting into our communities, how do we expect to get, number one, the respect, and number two, the treatment that we know we so justly deserve? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. It's the golden rule. You don't want to be slighted. You don't want to be neglected. You definitely don't want to be oppressed. You definitely don't want to be brutalized. You don't want to be treated like less than a person. You don't want to be treated like trash. You don't want to be recycled or repurposed even. But we must demand that the people that are being helped, that are being corrected, that are being put in these places where they're supposed to be treated as people should be treated as people not criminals not trash not thrown away everybody deserves a second chance and we're used to hearing that but everybody deserves to be repurposed really everybody deserves to be turned into something better than they were before right they need to learn different skills they need to learn what they call soft skills a lot of times correction mm -hmm. When we're directed and we're shown which way to go, we end up where it is that we need to be. 
when we end up off course a lot of times, it's a lot harder. It takes a lot longer to get right back to where it is that we should have been. Right. Some people never make it back to where it is that they should have been. Mm-hmm. But that's the difference. You know, when, when you're born in the suburbs, maybe, and you go to a private school and you have a parent that gives you a, a an education uh, and maybe a house and maybe you, you you meet who it is that you're supposed to meet early. You just, you end up in a better place. You don't make those mistakes maybe. Mm-hmm. Or you end up with those things offered to you and you go the wrong direction. Maybe you start using drugs. Maybe you, uh, you end up locked up DUI or something like that. Mm-hmm. You end up in jail. So you got to get back to where it is that you were before somehow. Right. And it takes you a little bit longer to get to where it is that we all want to be, to get to that success, to have that family, to have that house, to have those children that you're able to give everything that you were given. Mm. It takes time. But that definitely, that definitely is something that all communities can identify with just being where it is that we need to be treating each other with respect. Um, As I said earlier, you know, the first amendment gives these rights to the the first amendment is speech, Mm -hmm. petition, religion, assembly, protest. That's afforded to everybody, every son and daughter of this nation. Right. As that same that same right available to us. And that doesn't matter what your education level is. Mm. It doesn't matter what your class is, your income status. It doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter where it is that you come from. It doesn't matter your color, your creed. And I just, I thank God for being able to do everything that we should be able to do. And if we can't do it, we have to fight and demand what it is that we we must. That's what America's all about. Right. Land of the free and home of the brave. We work together. We work together, arm in arm, hand right. in hand, fist right. in fist. And I think we Let's need fight. we need to make sure that we promote more of that. You know, we also need to tell people in our communities that there are some amongst us who will provide you what you need to get to the next step, you know? And I really want to speak to going through those experiences and having those experiences. Sometimes you have a major setback for a major come up. The experiences that you've had and the things that you've endured in your life, whether you want to see it or not, you know, the hardest thing for people to understand is everything happens for a reason, you know? I think it's been one of those things in my life that I even had a hard time understanding until I came to a conformed conclusion that it does happen for a reason. I may not understand the reason in the moment, whether it be detrimental to what I'm doing, whether it be hard in that moment, it's for a reason. The question is, what are you going to do to come back from it? You know, we got to be able to do the hard work and to do what's hard. And a lot of times, we can't do that because we don't know even just where to start. So that leads to this final question, and that's the importance of restoring lives and resilience training. You know, what is what does that actually mean for you, resilience training? Oh, wow. <laughs> that's an awesome question for me. <laughs> for me, it's like an actual thing. It's an, it's a call. It's a it's a phone call that I make on Wednesdays to uh, be a part of this training with Stanley H. Green. Stanley H. Green bought this whole platform, this whole idea mm. from the uh, the power. It's it's power thinking, and University of Pennsylvania psychology head back in the day, Martin Seligman, had this uh, this term that he used that. He coined, and I guess that Stanley H. Green, I, I believe, purchased called learned helplessness. Yeah, you was telling me about learned that. helplessness. Yeah, uh huh. What you showed, what, what you showed at the beginning, 
of what, what were those bugs in that uh in that jar at they the beginning fleas. of this video? Fleas. Were, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very very poignant. So mm-hmm. fleas in a jar. They did a uh, uh experiment that the fleas can. The experiment that Martin Seligman did was with dogs, actually, not the fleas mm-hmm. on the dog, but with dogs, and. The dogs that could get out of the the cage, I'm looking at a fence right now with a a door. I think all fences have doors. Gates are without doors. Fences are with doors. But I'm looking at this fence. If I opened it up, Peppy here that's running around, a little, uh, what kind of dog is Peppy? He's not a Yorkie. He's something else. But if he wanted to, he could run out of that fence. Right. Say that he's helpless. Because he, he's well taken care of. He's not helpless. But most dogs aren't going to run out of a fence. They're not going to run out if they're here. Even a dog in a cage that doesn't have a whole lot of room, they're not going to try to run out of the fence. But it's all about just thinking that you can. Right. Now, if you can't even imagine winning, that's why the Obama presidency was so was so amazing because they had hope. A black man was never supposed to be elected president. In 2008, when Obama won, I was in jail. I never thought that a black man was gonna be elected president. That would have been the first election that I could have voted in. But if you don't have hope that you can achieve something, you don't believe that it can happen. If you get out of jail and you got, you got all these barriers, you gotta check that box now, You uh, you can't live at this place. You can't do that. You can't get this job. You can't get approved for this loan. You talk about economic opportunities and business uh, opportunities. There's grants and things like that that would be awarded to some folks, but they might not be awarded to you. All these different barriers that exist, these different rules that are made to a lot of times keep folks that look like us that have been through what it is that we've been through to keep us from having everything that is made available that a lot of times is supposed to be for folks in the position that we're in those things aren't available i just uh i know that every one of the uh, the obstacles that exist these barriers we have to do everything that it is that we can whether that be run whether that be just vote whether that be just make noise about to Organize, we have to do everything that it is that we can. And it starts with belief. We have to believe that we can. If we don't believe that we can, this is a long roundabout way of saying that we won't do it. We won't be able to do anything that it is in our power because Mm -hmm. we don't believe that it's in our power. But when we believe that we have the power to do just as we, uh, we say and just as we see that gate opening up, Cause imagine, I don't know if you've seen those videos. Fighters uh, put out like there's two dogs on each side of the gate, and they barking, they barking at each other. Mm-hmm. But then they open up the gate, they just look at each other. They don't go and actually fight each other. Mm. <laughs> so learn helplessness, Martin Seligman. The dogs, they 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 didn't even try to get out of the cage. They was conditioned to believe that they can't get out of the cage. They can't get from behind the fence. Right. So we don't even need to close the gate on them anymore. The gate. I know yeah. that Carter G. Woodson, who started the uh, Black History Month, Carter G. Woodson started Black History Month as a week. He wrote a book called The Miseducation of the Negro. And in that book, he talked about how person who's made to believe that he's second class or made to believe that he's less than that he'll not only find a way to get to a back door instead of going through the front door he'll create a back door when he believes that he doesn't deserve to go through the front door right so that's that's what learn helplessness is all about for me i see it a whole lot differently because i've experienced different things than most folks that are on those calls but we uh, we take what it is that we learn, you know. I wouldn't have ever came to boxing if I didn't lose my uncle. I wouldn't have felt so good when I hit the heavy bag and got the frustration out. My uncle, when he passed, 
that's when I started like really going hard with boxing. I wouldn't have ever discovered the church if it wasn't for boxing because my first boxing coach, Ron Horn, was the one that told me to go to church. I was dealing with a lot and, you know, God, prayer, everything that it is that we uh, we can work out with the spirit, truth and love and peace and kindness that that was needed. So the church from the church, I went to Leg Hall, Legislative Hall. It wasn't until I went to Mother African Church and Rachel Livingston was working with Delaware Repeal. It wasn't until she got me going down to church protesting with her for people to never have to worry about being executed again in the state of Delaware. Because in Delaware, just like everywhere else in this nation, it's mostly black people that end up being convicted wrongly sometimes. Right. All the time, if you're talking to me, for murder, some people don't. It's a crapshoot. You you end up, imagine being in that position. You didn't do what it is that you're being convicted of, what it is that they, they're saying that you did. Mm-hmm. And you're facing the death penalty man you know especially when you talk about the church the, the bible says thou shalt not kill it doesn't say anybody but the state shall not kill it says thou shalt not kill nobody's right. supposed to be killing anybody that part <laughs> you know what and it's it's so crazy how you know your story is is absolutely amazing you know just even from the church you went to legislative hall and, and your fight there and continuing to educate yourself to promote that and be there for your community. So in enduring freedom in our lives through education, the importance there, how can we educate one another just to get to the resources that we need or even get the lives that we're looking to have? You know, I'm not saying all of us have to go to a four-year university. I'm not saying that all of us need to have a science or an associate in communication. There are so many different ways for us to educate one another, to have the lives that we know we need despite our past, despite our history. We do deserve second chances. Everybody deserves a second chance. How do you feel um, we can really use education to help our communities education is key education is the the key to a brighter future and a lot of times when we have that education we don't end up in the situations that we don't need to be in um a lot of folks when they first start off with school you know that you're learning how to read everybody and if you never even learn to read, you won't be able to learn. You'll be, you'll be in a, you'll never be able to advance. So I know at my church in Mother African, they've got the freedom school and all throughout the nation, there are these freedom schools where they focus on making sure that our community is able to read and able to advance. Uh, we kind of went off course because I was, uh, I was answering uh, questions that you didn't even ask. I was talking about things that I didn't even need to be talking about. But I know that you wanted to ask me how uh, how government agencies, our local legislators, and nonprofits provide more economic opportunities for formerly incarcerated people. Right. And I wanted to say impacted people being involved in decision making and planning when when folks who have been neglected and oppressed are given an opportunity to voice their opinions, we will have change. We must demand that what is right be done. We have to participate. That is why those people who have been branded as felon, knowing that we have this right now restored, we have this right return to vote, and not only to vote, if you can vote, you can run. See my shirt says, just run. If you can right. vote, you can run for office. That's in Delaware, state by state, laws are different. But in Delaware, we have the right to take control of this government that's supposed to be for us. 
we have the right to do what it is that we have to do to represent our our people, our families, everyone that it is that lives in our community that we care about. We've had these historic barriers that still exist today that we must overcome. Back in the day when there was uh, Louis L. Redding that was uh-huh. that was young, before he became a lawyer, back in the day, before he was Louis L. Redding, that won Brown versus Board of Education, there was a rule that was established that anyone who took the bar in Delaware must have had worked for a lawyer for a year. So because no white lawyers were allowing any black pre-law or black students that wanted to be lawyers to work for them, they didn't hire these black people. There were no black attorneys. Mm. That was a barrier that existed. There's still barriers that exist today that keep people from doing what it is that they need to do. And those barriers have to be overcome. There's rules that are in place and there's little slates that are made. There's different things that we have to deal with. Sometimes it's just an email that we get back that says, oh, you didn't check this box or you didn't fill this out the right way. Or mm-hmm. you have to. there's certain things that we have to overcome. It's still, uh, it's still a fight every single day and we got to do everything that it is that we can and with that being four i think that that's four we're at five now i think my numbers are off our numbers got a little thrown off but thank you it's all good because listen the people got more than what they bargained for and i'm telling you it was absolutely phenomenal so d i'm gonna ask you a question that's not written down that i've asked you before are you running again? Because you need to, yo. And I told you I, that before. You, you, you for the people. You are exemplary in what it means to represent a community. What's up with it? <laughs> I appreciate your encouragement so much. I mean, at the beginning of the call, I said that politics are very uh, hard. They're uh, very, not to say that they're not... Uh, something that we should be a part of not to say that it's not something that we should participate in mm-hmm. but for your for your health for your uh your mental health your emotional health mm. your physical health it's hard on people pray for all your representatives especially the ones that make themselves available to you right. the ones that give you the uh the access my battery on my my laptop saying that it's going to run out I'm, I'm not plugged in. It's all but good. We can rake it out. No doubt. I know. We're almost done. But, <laughs> but that's a great example. That battery on that laptop, the battery that we have in our hearts and our minds, the capacity that we have to do things right. on our own. There is so we much that we can do on our own, but there's so much more that we can do together as a group, right. as a group of concerned people, concerned citizens, family members. In your own family, in your own household, you have folks that are doing what it is that they want to do on their own. Maybe mom, she's focused on her computer. She's focused on doing what she's doing. Maybe maybe dad, they're doing what it is that they're doing. Mm-hmm. But you're doing what it is that you, everybody got to work together in order for you to achieve what it is that needs to be achieved for right. it to be easy. This morning, this morning, my devotion that I read was about Amish people. I grew up in Berks County. I'm familiar with Amish people because I grew up in Berks County, Pennsylvania. I was born in Chester, mm-hmm. but in Berks County, outside of Reading, we had people from Lancaster and, you know, Amish town. And believe it or not, it was the Amish that came to Wilmington that moved Lewis L. Reading's house from where it was at the NBA mm-hmm. building, NBNA, across from the uh, old Walnut Street Y over on to 11th Street where it's at now. Mm-hmm. They picked up the whole house and moved it. But when they're building a barn, it could take months if you did it alone, if you, just your family did it. But all the members of the Amish community come together mm-hmm. and they build a barn in a single day. Right. It takes one day for them to build a barn. And that's food. That's, that's shelter for the animals. That's a job. 
that's economic stability for years to come. Mm-hmm. No doubt. That is longevity. That is what we need. Mm-hmm. We need everyone working together. We need success because we, we can't do it alone. We can't. And when we do work together, we're going to achieve so much more and it's going to be faster. <laughs> no doubt. And, and you're going to have more fulfillment. You're going to feel good about it because everything that it is that you're doing is not just about you. It's not selfish. Right. It's the act of selflessness that's involved, you know, and, and standing together. But, yo, D, I appreciate you, man. This has been a phenomenal talk. I'm going to let you go ahead. Family, Um, make sure you send me links to events, to what you got coming up in the community. They'll be posted on my Facebook page and Instagram at Savvy Kira. Talk heavy yep. TV, literally just talk radio. Yo, I Savvy, Savvy Kira. No doubt. No doubt. So the April uh, 23rd Fight Hate with Gloves on 11th Street. Uh, April, April 23rd, uh, Open Streets. I think it's going to be on Market Street. We're going to block off Market Street. Okay. So that's this month. And next week, April 8th, uh, Aaron from Delaware Humanities told me to let you guys know at Widener University, Widener University, there's going to be a justice workshop that involves pretty much every organization that's dedicated to helping the folks that are justice involved. Dope. Dope. Thank you, D. Yo, I appreciate that. And thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your story. Most importantly, thank you for the work that you're doing in your community, man. And keep up the good fight. All right, y'all. That concludes the episode of Talk Heavy TV. Got some upcoming events coming up. Make sure you check out open mics on mind the storm podcast every two or facebook page every tuesday 6 p.m eastern standard time get your funny on take a lunch break with the fuck every wednesday 12 noon definitely a, a dope show our voice matters every first and third thursday on mind of the storm podcast as well also in Wilmington, Delaware, the Jeremy McDowell police reform campaign. They got a lot of amazing things happening in the community of Wilmington with police reform. Celebrating Poetry Month with Slick Talk. April 21st is going down. Your girl will be performing, so make sure y'all come out and check me out. 517 Avenue of the States in Chester, PA. What else we got going on? April 22nd and 23rd, um, just like D had mentioned, he is also doing Freedom Fridays to talk about voter registration in the city of Wilmington. April 28th as well in the city of Wilmington, ACLU Delaware will be hosting an expungement workshop and job fair. So if you need a second chance, if you need your record cleared, make sure you look that up, go check that out. And of course, join your girl right here every first and last Saturday on Literally Just Talk Radio, you'll be able to find this show on Mind of the Storm podcast. Pay on plat- ah, I can't talk no more, y'all. <laughs> you'll be able to find this show on Mind of the Storm. Also at Savvy Kira Facebook and Instagram page, www.ljtrtawkheavy.com. Till next time. Okay.